jump right into our passage. If, if you haven't been around, if this is your first Sunday, we're so glad you're here. We're going through the book of Philippians verse by verse because we believe God's word is enough. Amen. And if, yeah. and if, and if you go through every verse, then you don't get to skip the challenging stuff. You don't just get to preach the good, juicy stuff. Uh, you got to cover it all. So that's what we're doing here. Uh, we're excited about this whole process. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, it says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. All right? We're going to take the next 30 minutes to break this down. It's going to be good. I want to pray over the message and I'll preach. Does that sound okay? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. We're so grateful for this church, for this body of believers. God, I pray uh, that you would allow this message to be powerful and effective. That uh, it would be the power of your word that would transform hearts and lives and I pray that you till the soil of our heart. Help it be fertile ground to receive the seed of your word. We want to look more like you, think more like you, talk more like you. We want to experience the transformation that only you can provide. So Holy Spirit, come, use this word in a mighty way. I pray this church will continue to foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week, Pastor Jesse brought the word. I love when this kid preaches. He does an amazing job. Are you grateful for Pastor Jesse? What a gift. What a gift to this body. He broke down verses 5 through 11. It's the supremacy of Christ. Uh, and so if you look at the way that Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13 starts, Paul starts the verse with therefore. So this is because of this, we do this. Okay, so when he says therefore, he's making reference to verses 5 through 11. So Pastor Jesse did a sufficient job. I did listen to the whole thing. We'll talk about it after. You know, I like to sit anytime someone preaches. I like to listen and go through it with them. And I did finish your message. I want you to know that. And you did an amazing job. So I don't need to re-preach all these verses, but I do want to read it so it's fresh in our mind as we move into verses 12 and 13. Does that sound okay? So Paul wrote this. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God uh, a thing to be grasped. But instead, he emptied himself. Come on, that's a good word for uh, a people that's found themselves in a culture that's about get on your grind, get more, stack that cheddar, right? None of you say that, but somebody probably has, okay? Anyways, Christ emptied himself. That's our example, to empty ourselves so we can be full of him. I'm not going to preach it, just going to read it. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself. Everyone say humble. humble. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Some of y'all have a hard time just reading your Bible every week. And he became obedient to the point of death. This is the mind of Christ. That obedience is held with that type of reverence, that it's that sacred, that I would be obedient to the point of death. That's going to be important, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God 
the Father. It's incredible who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so Paul starts verse 12 with, Therefore, so because of this, as, as you understand the purity of the gospel, if you become more aware of the Messiah's humility, as you've observed his perfect obedience to the will of the Father, perfect obedience. There wasn't times where he didn't say, God, what? Can I, can I not do that? I mean, he did. But he said, but nonetheless, your will, not mine. Right? As we grow in our knowledge that a day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. As, as we come to understand that Jesus is the focal point of our lives, Paul says, because of all of that, verse 12, he starts, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, now I want to pause really quick, because it's this short, simple phrase where we catch a glimpse of how effective Paul's leadership is. And I, I'm not going to spend the whole time on this, but I do uh, uh, want to acknowledge this. The strength of Paul's Christ-like leadership ability is highlighted in the very first part of this phrase. Jesse, Pastor Jesse talked about this last week. Jesus came, John 1.14 tells us that Jesus was full of grace, full of truth. He was full of grace, he was full of truth. Um, you, you've heard me say this on many occasions, but I love this quote. I don't think we can say it enough, especially when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to sitting at the table with our families, um, discipling, being a disciple ourselves, being a disciple to others, discipling others. Grace, you can write this down, grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is mean. Grace and truth is medicine. Grace and truth is medicine. Around here, we like to use the phrase a punch and a hug. Grace and truth. How do you get a dog to take its medicine? Pop it in a hot dog. Grace and truth. The pill doesn't taste so bad if it's in a hot dog. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Come on. Grace and truth. And here's the point. Great leaders, disciples of Jesus, they don't just criticize and celebrate. They don't just exhort. They encourage, right? In Philippians 2, 12 and 13, we see Paul does three things towards the Philippian church. In these two verses, he performs three things. And the first thing he does is he commends the Philippians. I think we have a slide for that. Paul commends Philippi. He commends Philippi. Now, before Paul gives any type of critique, because he is going to give them critique, he, he takes time to celebrate and acknowledge the holiness they've demonstrated, the godliness, the obedience that the people of Philippi have demonstrated. And again, I think about the table. I think about some of our primary relationships. Grace and truth has to exist in those relationships. If I'm going to demonstrate Christ to you and you're going to demonstrate Christ to me, then it's mightily important that both you and I live our lives full of grace and full of truth. Not just full of grace to the mom who just wants to be friends with the kids. Come on. I'm a preacher. I'll, I'll talk Come about on. So, so, you know, what, what does it look like? If, or if it's, if it's just, remember, grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is just mean. What does it look like to just have, I think about some of these relationships. I think about the table. Because that's what this what we're talking about this year. So, so if it's just truth, if, if it's so easy. I'm, you know, I'm in this season of being a dad, and I can find myself out of a good place, 
out of intention to love my kids well, to bend them into who God's called them to be, to steer and guide them, especially my middle child. God bless her. Come on. She's been testing me. I've been mean to my middle child. Maybe our language sounds like this. Why do you always do that? Why don't you listen? You're not a good listener. You have to stop doing that. You have to choose better friends, teenager. You have to start studying more. The, the list goes on, oftentimes from this place that is actually good because I love you and I care for you and I want to disciple you and I want to see you become all that God's called you to be. We want to invest. We want to develop. We want to disciple. And oftentimes, without realizing it, all we ever share is truth. And instead of bending the people we disciple into who God's called them to be, we just break them. Wow. Hey. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives, coming for y'all too. <laughs> Do we critique more than we celebrate? Do we punch more than we hug? Do we exhort more than we encourage? Do our phrases sound like you're always on your phone? I'm trying to talk to you. You're not home enough. I need help with the kids. You never answer my text messages. You, you spend too much time with your friends. You don't pursue me enough. All truth, no grace, it's just me. Paul wanted to communicate to a people that he loved, to a people that he wanted to disciple effectively. So Paul says, before I give you any type of critique, before I give you any type of command, I want you to know I see the gifts in you. I want to call out the good things I see in you. He wants to provide grace. Amen. So Paul takes time to commend the church in Philippi. I encourage you, as many of you are starting a season where you're starting your table groups, be intentional to not just exhort one another to be more like Jesus, but to call out the Jesus that you already see existing in those circles. Amen. Paul commends the believers in Philippi. <laughs> but we also understand grace without truth is meaningless. And so Paul takes time to bring some truth, to bring some exhortation, to bring a command to the people of Philippi. So number one, Paul does three things. Number one, Paul command or Paul commends the church of Philippi. He commends the Philippians. Second thing he does, Paul commands the Philippians. Okay, so uh, as we, as we move in, Paul understands that commanding is just as important as celebrating. So when it comes to discipleship and leadership and loving others well, we have to take inventory of our own relationships. Have we allowed too much grace and not enough truth to exist in our relationships with one another? Um, because both of those things have to exist in full measure for them to really be Christ-like and God-honored. So maybe with our kids, we're more concerned about maintaining friendship rather than leading and discipling them. So like, When's the last time you talked about sex, drugs, and rock and roll? We want someone else to do it. We want, we want our youth pastors to do it. We want our health classes to do it. You know, are, are we willing to go, are we willing to share truth, knowing that it's a vital part in the relationships that we have with one another? If we're going to sit at the table the way we're called to, are, are we talking about tough stuff? Are, are we having meaningful conversations about how to steward social media? What, what we do on it, why we, what, why we do what we do, why we don't do what we don't do. <laughs> we're, we're, 
you know, are we providing adequate accountability? Or is it like, yeah, your boyfriend can stay here. They ain't married. No, we can't. Right? Not in this house. They ain't paying the bills. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, maybe with our spouses, we're not being honest about our discontentment. So we just bury our feelings and, and we allow toxic habits to continue in the other spouse because we don't want to we don't want to cause a flurry or we don't want to hurt the feelings. Our, 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 uh, we're not holding the other spouse accountable to cultivating a vibrant spiritual life. It's like, hey, like I love you, but I haven't seen you pick up that Bible in two weeks. Are you taking time to talk with the Lord? Are you are you serving others? Like. You know, these conversations, holding each other accountable. This is what it looks like for truth to exist in our relationships. Uh, You know, maybe we're not being transparent about our own struggles. That's truth, right? Like, hey, I'm I'm falling short in this area, and I want to confess it because I want to be healed. Don't just hide from your spouse saying, I'll get it together, and then I'll tell them about how I got free. It's like, we've got to confess some things. Truth has to permeate our relationship. Paul knows that if he's going to effectively disciple and love the Philippians, he can't just utilize grace. He also has to provide truth. He can't just hug. He's got to punch. Right? I love this Proverbs. It's from chapter 27 of the Proverbs, verse 6. It says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. It's good. Sometimes we got to love each other enough to wound each other. So I want to do two things. Paul commands the Philippians, so I want to talk about what the command was and then talk about what the command means, okay? Yeah. So uh, he says this in verse 12. So we already talked about the first part where he says, Hey, I've seen your obedience when I was there. It was unbelievable. Uh, Now that I'm not there, your your obedience is even more important. I I want you to actually grow in your obedience, okay? And so he says this in verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 12, he says, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, so even though I'm not there, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Come on, a pastor spit at you at some point saying this verse. (laughs) The command is, you've been following Jesus well, and I've seen it. I've seen it. But now more than ever, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So the command is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want to take time to unpack what exactly does Paul mean when he says this. Work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I want to clarify right off the bat. It does not say work for your salvation with fear and trembling. Because righteousness is only received through faith in Jesus Christ. I can't perform well enough to be righteous. I can't perform well enough. I can't work enough to get into heaven. That ain't it. And that's not what this verse is saying. Salvation is only found in faith in Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. Right? So righteousness cannot be earned. Righteousness is only received. Scripture is very clear that salvation only comes from Jesus. Um, uh, upon a moment when we place faith in Jesus Christ we're justified in the eyes of God he covers us in the blood amen okay so we need to know that that it's not my work it's his work that Jesus was sufficient to cover my sin to forgive all my sin okay what Paul is saying is we need to work out our salvation 
work out your salvation is the call to living a holy, sanctified life. Working out your salvation is emptying yourself, right? Is emptying yourself of your flesh, emptying yourself of the old nature, living obedient to him. Because who was obedient to the point of death? Christ. Who's our example? Christ, right? So he says, therefore, since this is our example, since this is the man who's come, since this is what, who the Holy Spirit is turning us into, is transforming us to be more like, this is the call on our lives, to be obedient to the point of death. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why is it important? Because Christ, our example, he demonstrated it, and it's God's will for all of us as believers. Remember Paul said in, in, in chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, he says, Have this mind among yourselves. He's exhorting the Philippian church, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. No, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death death, even death, on a cross. Paul's commanding the church in Philippi to work out their salvation because he understands this is God's will for you. Maybe you're thinking, what the heck does it mean? Work it out. Work it out with fear and trembling. So I want to briefly look at these words in their original language and talk about the original meanings of the words specifically for fear and for trembling. The first word for fear is phobos. In phobia, right? Phobos. And so when this word was used, it could essentially mean two things. The first one was like panic, fear, dread, terror. Ah! Right? Like, ah! Terror, fear. <laughs> and then, just in case you didn't get it, and then the second thing that it could mean is deep reverence, respect. Spitting everywhere. Awe! Right? Totally, totally in awe. This deep reverence. So which one is Paul utilizing here when he writes the verse? Panic! Yeah, you guessed it. Yeah. Be encouraged this morning. Praise God. So, you know, there's a little bit of controversy around this. Honestly, I think Paul is using this word to emphasize his point. I, I think even for both of these things to exist in that word, I wouldn't even say that's wrong. But, but, but Paul is trying to emphasize, hey, this obedience thing is to be taken seriously. Um, I, I'm reminded when we see in the scriptures when angelic beings show up, a lot of times, what's the first thing they have to say? Don't be afraid. Right? There they are. This is, there's this holy fear one experiences in the presence of God, whether it's terror or deep reverence, or a combination of both. What Paul is emphasizing, what Paul is trying to get us to understand, is like, hey, our obedience is a serious matter. We're, we're, we're focused, and we're ready to obey God. Like, we're ready, God, God, like, you know, we're, I'm not going to act up. I'm not going to act up when the boss is gone. Like, like I, I understand that he's here, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to live out how he's called me to live out. I, I want to also look at trembling here. Uh, original Greek word for trembling is plamos. Plamos. Like phobos, plamos, uh, when it's used, can also have one of two meanings. The first one, trembling or quaking with fear. The second one, it's used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts his ability. 
to completely meet all requirements, but, re uh, 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 but religiously does his utmost to fulfill his duty. Okay, so that, that's pretty specific. When, when we look at this word trembling, when Paul uses it, which one does he mean? The anxiety one. Yeah, yeah. Fun. I want to be good enough, but I'm never going to be good enough. But I'm real. I'm working really hard because I because I want to be good. So you can see, he's like, hey, we, we have to obey God with every with every fiber of our being. Like that's all I want to do. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I'm not. I'm not casual about this. I'm not apathetic about this. I'm living this thing out. I, I, I want to put. I want to do everything you've called me to do. It's, it's, it's this mindset of like, at all costs, obedient to the point of death. I think of a strong cross reference for this book. James wrote in chapter 4 of his letter, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And he talks about the attitude towards our sin, which we know that Jesus paid for. But we also know that Jesus has a will for what our lives look like on this earth. And so he says, so he says, let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Okay? Uh, and, and then he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. So it's not that we need to walk around with this, oh, I suck, I can't do anything right, I just look so obedient, and I mess up all the time. He's not saying that's we walk around like doomy, gloomy Christians because we know the Holy Spirit produces joy, yeah. and the Holy Spirit produces peace. Yeah. It's about a seriousness towards our sin, right? That, that it's something we want to get rid of. But this idea, but the, and then he says, as you do that, he says, and the Lord will lift you up in honor. So there's kind of these two themes of thought, but it, it's like as I give myself to one, I experience a greater measure of the other, yeah. right? So these two things can exist. It's about having humility like Christ did. Like, it's not my work. Like, I, I know that I'm broken and I'm in, I'm in need of him, but as I, as, I, as I work hard to honor him with my life, then he's more glorified in my life. And, and we'll see. You know, if we got stuck in verse 12, then this could be a pretty discouraging passage. Um, but again, God not only wills that for those who love him, uh, you know, he not only honors this, that we obey him and follow him and acknowledge him with our everyday actions with deep reverence. But he says that when we do, he'll honor us. He'll honor us. He'll honor that greatly. So essentially with fear and trembling, does not contradict a joyful spirit permeating this letter. Christian joy is the experience of every believer that finds themselves in God's will. But a lot of times, how do we find ourselves in God's will? How, how do we choose God's will? By obeying with fear and trembling. Okay, so these, these things work together. The holy fear of God that trembles at the thought of sin is the attitude of the careful Christian. It's not one or the other. It's that these two things strengthen each other. So you want more joy? Draw near. You don't draw near by doing more sin. Yeah. Okay. So that, that is fear. Uh, so that I fear God with deep reverence. I work to live a holy life. As I do these things, I'll actually experience a, a more genuine, a truer sense of joy and 
peace that's found only from a deep commitment and relationship to him. So th this explanation might be too simple, but one of my first jobs was selling ice cream. I worked at this ice cream place, and uh, it was homemade ice cream. It was incredible, and we made pistachio ice cream. So we had this massive bucket of lightly salted pistachios, and so when the boss was away, we had these little mini styrofoam cups, and we'd go get little styrofoam cups full of pistachios because they were so good. And so we would just eat them on our shift. Hence, we were stealing profits from the business. We weren't good employees, okay? So we, we got an email that uh, all the employees, you needed to stop eating the pistachio because they weren't for you, okay? So we were going, and, 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 and so he, he sends this out. But you know what is true is we never would have done that if he was around. Right. Because we respected him and we feared the consequences of his authority. The thing is, it is... Though, if I, if I wouldn't have stole the pistachios, if I honored his authority, whether he was present or not, and, and, and it was exceeding his expectations as an employee, I probably would have received benefits that were greater than just a little cup of pistachios. Yeah. That's probably yeah. the truth. And so uh, it's not exactly a direct like correlation. It doesn't actually work perfectly together, but just to simply illustrate it, I guess what yeah. Paul is commanding here is for believers to live like bosses around the same when, when he is and when he isn't, that it's like we just, we want to we, we want to carry out the will of God. We want to live obediently. We want to obey with fear and trembling. I, I read in a commentary this week, I thought it was so helpful in terms of setting our, our minds right for how we're to approach God. Because I think so many of us, I'm grateful for the altar. I'm grateful for encounters and moments and conferences that we get to go to and these moments with God that we experience or the retreat that was a weekend and we come back or the missions trip that was two weeks and we come back and we're on fire and those things are good and and, and and we definitely there's moments where we have just a moment with God but I think this is actually even all the more important it's, and, and they really I just want to read the quote it says may God rekindle in us a passion for ordinary obedience day to day following the pattern of Jesus. And you know what? If you really want to grow as a Christian, if you really want to uh, remain in God's will for your life, if, if, if you want to grow and mature spiritually, it's about just being okay to seek Him day after day, not needing some powerful experience or, or emotional moment. Not that God can't use those things and He's not in those things, but it's about ordinary obedience. It's so beautiful. Something that I found especially encouraging was the definition of that word tremble. And I'll talk about why, but it says that what that word tremble means is the anxiety of one who distrusts his ability completely to meet all the requirements, but religiously does his utmost to fulfill the duty. So it's almost like there's this awareness of like, I know that's the law. You know, I want to try and fulfill it to be good enough, but I'll never match up to it because I can't. It's like this overwhelming, like, I could never be good enough. I could never, I, I could never earn it, but, I, but I'm trying, but I, but I never could. We know scripture is so clear. The law wasn't created to be fulfilled. Yeah. It was actually created to point our need towards Jesus, to, to set our eyes on Jesus that, hey, I need help because without you, I'm, I'm drowning. Yeah. Right? And, and this is why I find so much hope in, in the verse um, 13. So, so three things that Paul does. He commends, he commands, and praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for verse 13. And he comforts the Philippians because he says this. Right when the believer is feeling this unimaginable weight 
of working out our salvation, of being good enough, you know, for God, whatever that means. Paul writes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will. So he gives you the desire. That's what will means. He gives you the wish. He gives you the desire. He, he increases the desire in you for him. That comes from him. It's grace. And to work. He gives you the will, and, and, and so he gives both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So not only does he increase the desire in you, he increase, he, it, that word means energizes. He actually gives you capacity to obey him. So it's like, hey, just come into agreement that, that, that it's all about Jesus, that, that we're going to spend our life seeking Jesus, and guess what? He'll increase your desire and he'll, he'll increase your ability to follow him. But, but we got to come into agreement and say, God, here I am. You know, I think of what, what I think of is like, so Paul's like, come on, with fear and trembling, obey God, make it so important. And then he says, and if you do, he's going to give you everything you need to do it. Because God doesn't call you to something he's not going to equip you for. This is, this, is, this is the analogy that I think. And when Joshua is on the end of the river, and the river's just flowing, and God's like, just, yeah, just walk across to the other side. And it's like, okay. And it's not until we step in the river that the water stills, right? But if we're willing to step, if there's agreement, if, if there's receiving, it's like, I'll give you everything that you need. It's his, we can only grow, we only become better disciples because of his grace at work within us. Yeah. He increases our desire, he increases our ability. Yeah. The Amplified Version says it like this, for it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work. That is strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. Paul, Paul comforts the believers and he says, God's going to give you the will. God's going to give you the ability to do the work. Amen. He's like, so come on, let's commit ourselves to following Jesus and he's going to give you what you need to do it well. Amen. Um, so he commends he comfort, he he commends, he commands, and he comforts. The question isn't is God doing His part because we know God is faithful to do it. The question is to confront us today, worship team. You can come. Uh, you know, are we living our lives with this mentality, with this tenacity, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, or is this just like we go to church sometimes and it's this? You know, sometimes I'll read a devotional or repost a meme that I liked on Facebook that had a kind of a Christian quote. Is our relationship with Jesus, is, is it polluted with apathy in a reverent patterns? Do our disciplines and do our desires testify that we want to live a life worthy of the gospel? Are, are we still or, or are we still living life for ourselves?